Get ready to rise and shine. Get ready to dive in, reach out, to grow. Get ready to launch and to lead. Get ready for your hire. Visit rmu.edu today to see the stats, stories, and rankings. Robert Morris University. Get ready. Hello, you beautiful people. You've tuned into Dr. Low Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Noel. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning in to another episode. Thank you so much also for the reviews over on iTunes. They mean the world to me. If you've been listening to the show and love what you've been hearing, please go over to the iTunes and leave us a five-star review and tell us that the show is awesome. And if you have any comments or questions, you can leave that over there as well. Tonight's show is all about addictions, how to overcome addictions. And my friend who is joining me tonight has a really wild and crazy story about her experience and how she was able to overcome her own addictions and turn that into her her purpose in helping others. If you are new to the show, welcome. So great to have you. You can check out all previous episodes over at shinenaturalmedicine.com. They're all recorded. And uh, anything really you want to hear about, we have a show on it. So definitely head over there, get that get caught up in all the material. And of course, if you love the show, please share it with people who you think it would make a difference for. You never know, it could save their life. All right, with all that said, let's jump into the show. We have the lovely, amazing, wonderful Amy Dalton on the show. She is a very, very good friend of mine, someone who I talk to probably almost every day and has made a huge impact in my life. And we really try to keep each other in check and on the straight and narrow <laughs> with always fun and humor in, uh, in the mix as well. A little bit about Amy. Amy Dalton is a highly sought after coach. She's a TEDx speaker and inspirational mentor to at-risk youth. Since 2008, she's been sharing her journey with overcoming addiction across the U.S., inspiring people of all ages. As a workshop leader, life coach, and personal mentor, promoting spiritual growth, physical health, and wellness to young women struggling with addictions and eating disorders, Amy signifies her merit as a champion towards alternative forms of healing and personal transformations. And I'm so excited to have you on the show, Amy. Welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much, Lauren. I have been listening to your show before we were even friends, so this feels like a dream come true for me, and I feel feel very lucky and fortunate also to have you in my life, and um, I really feel like we have helped each other stay on the path of, of health and and laughter and love, and I'm just grateful to have you in my life and to be on the show. Oh, I have a perma grin right now. My face is going to hurt from smiling by the end of the show, I'm sure. So that's... <laughs> that's <laughs> be careful, girl. You got to watch those wrinkle lines. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do those wrinkles. It shows a life well lived, and uh, even in La Jolla, right, we can still have some wrinkles because it shows that we have had joy and... <laughs> <laughs> totally. And yeah. also we have good abs because we laugh so hard, right? So That is true, girl. Know, it's all pros and cons. Uh, so, um, for people who haven't seen your Ted talk, it's awesome. All you guys listening, I highly recommend to go over to YouTube and type in Amy Dalton, D A L T O N and watch her talk. It's amazing. The, you've had like nine lives and (laughs) just to see the transformation and what you have come through and how, where you are now, it's, it's really jaw dropping that you've, that you've gone through all of that. So tell us a little bit about your story and also your overcoming addiction. Absolutely. Um, so 
My journey began as a as a young kid. I was born via C-section, and thanks to you, I've now learned that that probably set me up for a lifetime of obesity and ADHD and really actually was the beginning of causing some trauma in my life that may have led up to the things that I struggled with later on in life. So I'm always learning, but I was born via C-section. Um, I actually almost died in, in the process of being born. And, uh, at age two, I was already showing signs of obesity. Like the doctor said to my mom, Hey, you know what? You're going to have to watch her weight because she's already off the charts on, on the scale. I don't know what scale this is, but some scale that that tells you that your kid's going to be obese. So at age two, um, my mom panicked and, you know, the first, the, one of the first conversations I can remember is my mom saying to me, Amy, don't eat that like, don't eat that. You know, we need to watch your weight. Before I even knew that I had a weight problem, wow. um, I was already being monitored. So I grew up, um, I, I later found out in life that I was sexually abused by a family member. And I, I'm sure that that also contributed to the reason why I was protecting myself with food. But that, in, 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 um, also with, with the being controlled food, I just felt like I had to hide. So my mom had me on diets as a little kid and I was just always overweight because I kind of had the belief that if my mom didn't find out that I was eating, then it wasn't happening and that it wasn't okay to be who I was, that I was already damaged. I was unwanted. I was ugly. And so it's kind of started this spiral of protecting myself from from the secrets that was happening in my family around the sexual abuse and the, the constant conversation before I even knew what being fat was to that I was, that I had to hide what I could eat. So I was overweight growing up and, um, you know, we moved around a lot. And so kind of my, my go-to, my go-to thing was just to always make fun of myself. Like I just you know, surrender to the fact that I was going to be the overweight girl that nobody would ever date or like. And my, my best friend was food. So I would secretly hide stuff. I would keep it up in my room. I would sneak stuff because food was the only kind of comfort that I had from my family, from the world, from the judgments of the world. So, you know, I would make fun of myself first. I would, I would always make people laugh. And that's just kind of how I survived was just being this overweight girl. So I moved to California in one of my many moves and I was 16 years old, right in the prime of all of my hormonal, you know, dysfunction and being overweight and being the new girl in school. And my best friend, Monica said to me, Hey, you know what? I've got a solution for you. And, um, it's, it's this drug. She said, if you snort this, we're going to get skinny. Now my father was an alcoholic. I had never done any drugs. And at that point I was like, you know what? I would never going to do any drugs. because I don't want to be like my dad, but because I was so miserable, I had so much shame and self-worth issues that I was like, okay, if this is going to make me skinny, I'll do it. I don't even care what it is. Mm-hmm. So the first drug I ever did at 16 was crystal meth, a line of crystal meth. And wow. yeah, talk about going straight to the top, right? right. Forget starting with weed or painkillers. I went straight to the good stuff, right? Mm. So, um, and, you know, they've said before, I've heard many times that don't try crystal meth even once. And that's exactly what happened for me is that I was addicted immediately. I felt like I was on top of the world. I felt confident. I had almost like a, a little orgasm for the first time. And I suddenly felt like I could conquer the world. So in the beginning of using crystal meth, it was, it was actually really serving me. So I lost 40 pounds in 
three weeks, I started doing my homework over in different colored pencils and, and getting straight A's. I, I tried out for the choir and I realized that I could sing. And I was thinking to myself, this is a miracle drug. I'm a hundred pounds. I'm getting straight A's and I have more confidence than I've ever had in my entire life. So it really gave me this false sense of reality and of confidence and gave me this love for myself and this passion that I had never had before. So I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to a vocal performance college, Chapman University. And when I went to college, I said to myself, okay, well, you know, crystal meth has been great for me, but now I'm just going to go live my life. And that was not what ended up happening at all. And when I went to college, I ended up meeting this gay guy in choir who was smoking crystal meth. And I started smoking crystal meth. And literally the next two years of my life were just an absolute spiral into the depths of hell. I, I ended up starting to drink because then I couldn't maintain the craziness of my high and I gained a bunch of weight. Crystal meth only works to help you lose weight for a very short period of time if you're drinking a bottle of vodka. And I realized that, you know, I had the same alcoholic tendencies as my father. And so I started stealing. I found out a way to get my scholarship money, which was $40,000 for this vocal performance college. And I siphoned it out to buy drugs. I was stealing. I was, I was lying to people. I was making up stories about how my family members were sick and dying. And that's why I wasn't showing up to school. And I literally started to have no soul. Mm. And, um, it's the more that that continued to happen, the more I needed the drugs in order to cover up the pain. So I had the sexual abuse pain. I had the shame around my body. I had this fear of getting fat again. I had an addiction. I had the lies. I had the, and it just built and built and built. And I ended up getting caught in the airport with a bunch of crystal meth at a family vacation. Uh, the only time I've ever seen the canine unit sniffing out carry on luggage. And I went to my first uh, treatment center and I went to jail for the first time. And then it literally started this spiral of addiction where I would get sent into a treatment center and I would get fat and then I would come out and all the shame of what I had created in my life and all of the the terrible things I had done just would lead me right back into using again. And it was this crazy self-hatred process. And finally, what ended up happening was... I was at a sober living in Orange County and I had started to give voice lessons to one of the girls that I was in this sober living house with and you know but I didn't really have a lot of tools around the self-hatred so I was in a recovery home I had a little job at Starbucks I had my little boyfriend that was sober but I hadn't dealt with the core wounds like the deep deep issues and I was going to AA and um I, my drug dealer came into the Starbucks I was working at and I ended up using again. So now I was leading this sober living house. I was the manager at the sober living house pretending to be sober on drugs. And I mean, it got so bad that I ended up the drugs that I had, I dropped it on the floor. And one of the girls that was in the sober house that I was supposed to be managing mm -hmm. picked it up and was like, who's is this? And I was, so I ended up drug testing all of them and being like, whose is this? And so that is how low I got in my life to where I was pinning my drugs on some other girl that was looking to me for support. Wow. And so shortly after that, I, I got caught stealing at a store and because my purse was empty, I got charged with bar burglary, robbery, possession with intent to sell and a possession charge. And so I went to jail and I called my parents and I said, you know, hi, you know, I'm in jail. Like, can you guys help me? And they said, Amy, we have literally put you through seven treatment centers and you're just going to have to 
like go to jail. Like we've done everything we can for you. And so I sat in jail for the next 30 days and I realized, okay, my life is completely over. There's no God. There's no hope for me. I'm just going to have to become some lesbian's girlfriend in jail. It's probably the only way I'm going to survive. My public defender told me that I was looking at three years because uh, I had the prior charge, which was expunged. So she said, you know what? You're looking at three years with a program, maybe. So I went to trial after those 30 days. And uh, my public defender said to me, you know what? This judge is really tough. I'm, I'm really sorry. It's probably going to be like the full three years in jail. And it was literally like from a movie, Lauren, this woman who owned the treatment center where I was just caught using it burst through the doors. And she said, you know, your honor, I never come and speak for any people. You know that I'm the most well-renowned woman in all of the recovery centers in Southern California. This girl does not belong in jail. She has a good heart. She is a leader. She is a lover. She has um, a beautiful soul and it would be a disservice to the world to lock her up and please, please give her another chance. And, um, the, the guy looked at me and said, I'm Amy. I don't know why this woman is doing this and what she sees in you, but she obviously sees something in you that you don't see within yourself. Oh. And I'm going to give you this opportunity that if you go to this treatment center in New Jersey and, um, you complete it, then there's going to be no charges. And you know, it's now, it's now your choice. It's now up to you. And that was the day that, that I got sober was that day. And that was, um, almost eight and a half years ago. And, oh, um, so that's kind of where my story began. And in the next year of my recovery, I learned, I went to this treatment center where they locked you up in, in the middle of nowhere and there was no contact with the outside world. And I had to face that I was completely consumed with my outside. I was completely consumed with how I looked and, and I hated myself on the inside. And um, so that is what led me to become a public speaker. And so I started traveling around, going to high schools. I went to my high school and spoke about my journey and all of the self-esteem issues I had. And uh, I ended up working for that woman when I got out of the recovery center for a while. And, um, that is what ultimately got me the opportunity to do a Ted talk because I just, um, have had this really crazy life. And now my mission is really to help women love themselves from the inside out. And, um, it, that was just the beginning of my journey because there's a lot more work that gets to be done than just this aha moment of being given a second chance. Like self-hatred and self-worth is a deep rooted issue and it takes a lot of healing to, to overcome that. Mm. I have had goosebumps probably at least five to 10 times since you've been telling your story. It's <laughs> so powerful. And also just the, like the raw honesty that you have to tell it in detail is what gives it so much power. I think that there's so many people listening who probably have something they've gone through that they're shameful about, that they are embarrassed about that really by going through the pain and owning that and actually having the honesty to talk about your story, you're able to really make an impact with people who have dealt with something like that. I mean, the beauty of what you've gone through is that you're so relatable and that no one's going to not tell you something because they know you're not going to judge them because you've been there, you've lived it. And so it gives you this, this power to make a huge impact. And it's crazy. (laughs) Thank you. Well, and I really feel like if I'm going to talk about one gift that I have, it's my vulnerability. And the thing that I always want to emphasize is that, yes, I was given a a second chance eight and a half years ago. And since then I have faltered. Like you would think that after that I would be golden for the rest of my life. 
But no, I have still struggled with body weight stuff. I, I hadn't healed the wound around my sexual abuse yet. Right. And so I've, I've got, had my ups and downs in recovery. I've looked for other methods of healing and I coach women into that, that like the journey is not over in a miracle moment. And I will be the first to say that I have had codependent relationships that I'm overcoming still different avenues of self-worth because you know, it's, it's tricky and our, our ego and our growth is never over and it always seems to kind of come up in a different way. And so I am, I'm always open to growing and learning and expanding. And I will be the first to say that I am far from perfect. I am still learning and growing and transforming. And I think that's why, um, I really appreciate our friendship and love you so much because we are that vulnerable, open support for each other. And that's, that's what we all really need for sure. Is that honesty and just recognizing what's there. And I'm curious when you, when you started to do talks, do you remember back to the first one you did and what that experience was like? Cause that must've felt like yes. coming full circle. Oh my God. Yes. So <laughs> it, it was literally one of the most incredible moments of my life because, you know, when I went up on that Ted stage, I had spoken at different, you know, high schools. I was a circuit speaker for a recovery team. But when I got up on that Ted stage, there was a lot of malfunctions in the Ted thing that day. I wasn't sure if my photos were going to work. Um, the mic was acting up, the wind was blowing, the monitors weren't working. And I just got up on that stage and I shared from my heart and I have never felt so, in flow, deeply connected, like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And this is what all of this entire journey of heartache and pain and craziness was worth standing here in this moment, sharing honestly my story. So it was an absolute divine moment of just like, wow, you know? Yeah. What do you see as, as, you know, some of the Well, let me, let's back up. So do you, do you believe that addiction is something that can be actually cured and healed and people can really, really move on from it? Or do you feel like they're always going to be, you know, an alcoholic or a drug addict? You know, what's your take on that? So that is, that is actually my biggest, my biggest thing right now is that, um, I spent eight years in recovery, doing the 12 steps, speaking on the 12 steps and, Um, Over the last two years, I have really gone through a very unique journey. And maybe that's why I'm hoping the listeners will get this message because maybe some people are going through this and I want to be the first one to, to be vulnerable and talk about it. I, uh, I, I did, I did something called ayahuasca and ayahuasca is a spiritual kind of ceremonial plant that you take that, that, that is a ceremonial medicine. It's not like a drug. And, um, I took it in Peru and it really got to the core of my wounds because what I experienced in the recovery world was that I was still dealing with, um, kind of like trapped memories and trauma and that, okay, I was abstaining from drugs and alcohol, but I was still living in a place of fear and shame. And I'd actually become so well-renowned in the recovery community for speaking that I almost felt like I couldn't even share that I was struggling with certain areas of my life. So when I went to the jungle and I did ayahuasca, I really saw that I am a whole being and I am love and that what I have been through was more, not necessarily like a demon, but it was, it was like a pain and a self-hatred that I 
get the opportunity to heal. And I don't always have to be a alcoholic and an addict. Like I no longer identify myself as an alcoholic and an addict. And that is very freeing for me because I was kind of feeling like I will always be forever grateful for AA. It saved my life. It is exactly what I needed to just have the community around me to start my healing process. But then what I've noticed in the last couple of years of my journey is that there's deeper healing to be done. And I have really elevated myself and empowered myself that like it can all be healed. Mm. And for me personally, and the the thing I want to say about that is that there are people that are very, very happy in the rooms of AA that will stay in the rooms of AA. And there are people that are in AA that are dying. And there are people that don't relate to AA that have sexual abuse, that have eating disorders, that have drug addiction. And maybe their solution isn't to just do the 12 steps. Maybe it's to be connected to their body. You know, my belief now is that um, the cure for addiction is not recovery. The cure for addiction is connection. And that connection starts with the relationship that you have to yourself. So what I found was that, yes, I was no longer using and I was no longer drinking and I was in AA, but I was still completely disconnected from my body. Like I still couldn't stretch and bend in certain ways. I had memories and traumas stored inside of my physical body that needed to be released and healed through different modalities, which I now do with my coaching clients, the clients that I coach. Like there are other ways to heal and you can become a whole and recovered and vibrant, connected, intuitive being. Mm. So, um, another thing that AA can sometimes teach is that, you know, to not trust your thoughts that you have a disease, you know, to, to be afraid of, because that could, that stinking thinking, like you could, be taken back to a drug. And what I've really learned is that embracing my intuition, embracing that I actually have the power to create the life that I want, that I have the power to face my fears, that my intuition and my body is brilliant and, and I can actually trust myself. And so that has been my own personal journey to healing. And I think that addiction, it's not black or white. And there's a gray area that I really want to speak into. What do you feel about that, Lauren? Oh, but before that, it's so juicy. <laughs> like just what you said, that one statement you said, it's like it echoed through time is that the cure for addiction is not recovery, it's connection. Yes. That's so powerful because so many times for, for those who are dealing with addiction, that's their way to deal with a lack of connection. Because it, it numbs the pain. It's, it's something that's, it's a distraction. It, it takes them out of their painful current reality. Um, right. And that can be, and that can be something as simple as being obsessed with Facebook. Like my, right. yes, my addictions were very clearly out of this world. They were crystal meth. They were, you know, being a binge eater. They were in codependent relationships and they were with drugs. Yeah. But the subtle ways in which we are actually craving connection, but we're in an addiction is workaholism. Yeah. It's addiction to social media. It's addiction to porn. It's addiction to sex. It's addiction to, um, it's addiction. It's addiction to being in your secrets, to hiding, to not showing people the true you. All of those are stemming from a deeper, a lack of connection to yourself and to the world and your fear of, of people really seeing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's easy to get stuck in your own world. You're not focusing on a vision of, of actually making an impact outside of yourself. 
Right? Absolutely. I, I know for myself when I'm feeling like I'm stuck in a circular thinking or I'm doing, you know, patterns of behavior that are not serving me, like maybe looking at certain, certain you know, a certain person's Facebook page and, and reminding myself about something and feeling bad about it or comparing myself to someone else. And we all get stuck in that pattern. Um, really the, the best way for myself to get snatched out of it is to be in service is to make a difference for someone else. I mean, my podcast is therapy for me because it has me continually shifting my focus from myself to you listening and to, you know, making a difference for you. And, um, so I think that that is, I mean, volunteerism is, is incredibly therapeutic, getting out there and actually volunteering, going and you know, go to a, a, um, an elderly, um, living facility or go and volunteer and be with children and make a difference for them. And it's like, it's getting out of yourself and connecting with other people. And that is incredibly therapeutic. And I just want to add on to that, that it's also in that important though, that you have a core group of friends. Like I would consider you one of my closest friends, Lauren, and the ability to say to somebody else, Hey, this is where I'm at, you know, like, Hey, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I know everything that I need to do to take care of myself. And in this moment, I just feel like eating a bag of chips. Not that you've ever said that to me, but I mean, like to have somebody that can, that can be there to support you, that knows your greatness, that knows what you're capable of, but also understands that we're freaking human. Like, because a lot of times I would get stuck prior to doing some deeper healing in being of service. So I was sponsoring a bunch of women. I was speaking all the time. I was actually using service as a way of not connecting authentically. Mm. Like I got trapped in that role, which I think a lot of people that are inspirational, um, can get caught in that trap of like, wow, well I have to be this inspirational person and yeah. people are counting on me and I've written a book and I've done a Ted talk. And so now I can't say I'm depressed as all hell. And I just want to, you know, go back to my ex-boyfriend or something. Right. And, um, it's important that we always have a few people in our life where we can completely drop the mask, get vulnerable, say, all right, can I just have five minutes to just completely tell you all the conversations that I have going on in my, my head right now of a committee of people that do not like me, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we all got that voice or a gazillion of them. I got a committee girl. (laughs) I have a whole boardroom telling me things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and also friends, people around you who support you taking care of yourself too. I mean, I remember, um, a couple weeks ago or probably about a month ago, you and Jenna came over, Jenna Phillips. She's also been on the show and, uh, and we were, you know, having dinner out in the hot tub and, uh, you know, 10 o'clock rolls around. I said, good night. (laughs) I was like, you guys get to go. You get to go. I love you. Good night. And, uh, and I never would have done that in the past, but I know that you guys love me and you support me taking care of myself and you guys want to take care of yourselves too. And, you know, having people in your life that are a really good, uh, influence is so important. Um, I will say that I've, I think I might've shared this maybe even a couple years ago, but, um, I grew up in a home where there was addiction. My, my brother is actually, um, currently in prison for, um, being addicted to meth. Uh, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Actually, he ended up having four different felonies. And I mean, he was probably one of the most successful drug dealers that there was. So they, they threw the book at him. And, um, and I will say that one of the things that constantly had him go back in, cause it's this revolving door of, you know, coming out of prison and going back in and 
he, and, and just to give the update, he's doing very well now and he's going to be getting out probably in about three years. They ended up shortening his sentence to, I think 10 to 12 years. It would be the total amount served. So he is doing very, very well. He has a real good um, handle on things. But one of the things that kept him going back in were the circle of friends that he surrounded himself with. He never changed his environment. He has such a huge heart, but would allow anyone to be in his circle. And it's, it's very, very important to be selective of the people you, you spend your, your time with. And I love the quote that your net worth is your network. So the people you surround yourself with, you are going to be the, the, the average of the five people you spend your time with. And that could be whether it's spirituality, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, um, positive mindset, you'll notice that the people you surround yourself with, you become a lot more like, or they end up influencing you and maybe pulling you down from where you want to be, you know, and it's, it's like the concept of when you uh, play high school sports, if you're on the JV team and you're playing the varsity team, you're going to play a lot better, right? Because you're around people who are having you step your game up and be the best that you can. And so that's what it's about is surrounding yourself with people who are going to keep you on track and remind you about the goals you have and, and, and doing that self-care. It's all about um, the environment. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that we had a little sleepover date the other night where we were in bed by, I think, was it 930? We cooked yeah. our own meal. We went in the hot tub and we were in bed by 930. And it was like, good right. night. Love yeah. you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it was amazing. You know, We got up at 530. We got up at 530. You went to your little work brain thing and yeah. I went, did a workout. And I've and like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of life. And that's also important for my for he, for my healing process and my growth, because I mean, addiction, another thing that is so important around addiction, which I don't feel like is emphasized enough is the self care. Like when I was first in recovery and I was, you know, attempting to be a cigarette smoker because it was the last thing that I could be addicted to, you know, <laughs> without getting in trouble, which just, just I, I couldn't even smoke. I couldn't even become addicted to cigarettes. It was just really pathetic that I was even trying, but you know, <laughs> to, to be smoking, drinking a bunch of coffee, staying up late, that just isn't going to serve your healing process either. So an, a big portion of healing my eating disorder, healing my self-love, healing the way that I feel about about myself, any form of depression is getting eight hours of sleep, is cooking organic meals, is monitoring the vitamins. I mean, thank God I have you as my girlfriend. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I can get all my tests and my labs done. You support me and and keeping me updated with that and my poop and you know, <laughs> I just you've got me on lockdown, girl. But it's all of it comes into play, and it's really all so important. How many how many forms of addiction could be solved by self care? And I know that you know that. Yeah. yeah. Some of the most effective drug treatment centers that I know of actually work on getting to the root of the addiction and uh, do things like helping to balance out hormones and neurotransmitters and balancing blood sugar. And, you know, for many people who are schizophrenic or have constant addictions, they, there is a blood sugar imbalance that can happen as well, you know? So it's like really doing that self-care stuff. What do you think are, are some things that you do in your routine that really help to keep you balanced? Um, meditation. I have, I, you know, I, I, I've always had meditation as a part of my practice, um, early on in recovery, but it was always like a five minute meditation. And what I've learned is that the reason why I loved 
crystal meth is because I do have like an overactive brain and I do, that did make me calm down. I don't know whether I would actually have ADHD, but I've got that uh, definite, I'm on the border, you know, naturally I tend to be distracted. Like it's like, Oh, where did it go? And there she's on a different topic. (laughs) So I get to be grounded in 30 minutes, not five minutes, not 10 minutes, 30 minutes of meditation, of setting intentions for the day. I get to exercise and move my body because that energy gets spent up. And that's what I realized as a child, that energy that I wasn't exerting in sports because I wasn't very good at sports, I was then stuffing with food. So I've now learned that if I want to be happy, if I want to be healthy, I, I get to meditate and ground. I get to move my body. I get to get enough sleep mm-hmm. and I get to put healthy foods inside my body. Um, there was a long time where I was just doing calories in calories out. And whether those calories were, you know, uh, Arctic zone, uh, frozen yogurt made out of things that <laughs> xylophone gum or whatever, <laughs> like 20 of the words I couldn't pronounce. Like, and then, you know, I'd have diarrhea for the next three days, but it was only 120 calories. So keep on eating that. Like that was not serving my brain function, you know, <laughs> styrofoam gum. I think you said it's, it's gotta be one of the ingredients. Pretty sure. <laughs> I love it. So do you have a different view of addiction nowadays you do see that it is something that can be healed? Right. And, and since your Ted talk that you gave, what, how many, how long ago was that, that your, your Ted talk was? Yeah. So my Ted talk, my first Ted talk was two years ago and coming up in August, I'm about to do my second Ted talk, which the topic of it is going to be ayahuasca and how it can cure, not cure, but it can be the starting point for healing addiction and depression and, um, even cancers. Mm-hmm. So, wow. um, I'm really focusing now on the deeper rooted spiritual trauma kind of stuff, like not so much the mind things, um, and going to the deeper wound, because I just found that after, you know, six or seven years of recovery, that the, the, the brain patterns, the cycles of codependency, the cycles of self-worth snuck up on me in little creepy ways. And I just wasn't thriving in my life. So I'm really interested in working with people to get to the deeper connection with their body to their intuition because our bodies are brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had a parasite last year and, um, I ended up going to Peru to heal that along the journey. But, you know, I was so upset with my body. I was like, I'm gaining weight. I don't know what's going on. My hormones are all messed up in such anger. And really, my body was brilliant. My body was saying, hey, girl, something is going on. Like, we're trying to give you a message here, you know? Right. <laughs> So my, my, my beliefs around addiction are, are evolving and changing. And as I find out new things, that's what I I really love about myself as well. And I know that you're have the same mindset, like give me something new, give me something new. I haven't learned. And like, I want to explore that. I never want to stay stuck in a mindset about addiction. And I've just really been exploring how, um, deeper healing work and getting in touch with your body and having experiences like ayahuasca or even just breathing exercise or having people breathe into their body and like kind of hover over in memories. There's all sorts of different techniques Mm. that get you really in touch with the deeper root of where the addiction may have started. Yeah. And so you, you work with clients now to help them work through their addiction. So you mentioned a few things like, like some of the, um, um, different practices that you talked about. What are, what are some ways that you work with your clients and working through, um, what they're dealing with and healing from this? 
Yeah, it's very, it's very specific to each person and it's not necessarily just people with addiction. I you know, can deal with men, women, depression, low self-worth, whatever they need, but it's, it's more, um, getting people in relationship to where are they experiencing whatever they're feeling in their body. And most people don't know that. So I'll say to them, they'll say, you know, I'm really upset about this breakup. And like, it's just, I don't know why I'm, I'm not over it. And so then I'll, you know, kind of get them quiet and have them breathe into their body and like, where are you feeling tension? Where are you feeling this disease? And can you connect to that? Does that, does that part of your body have a message for you and kind of put them in like almost a hypnotic state and just get them connected to, to their body and the memories? Because, you know, what I've learned is that as far as myself, for example, I was, um, I was sexually molested between the ages of three and five. And I didn't remember that I was sexually molested until I was 28, which is two, two years ago. And that is because the memories were stored cellularly, but my, my brain went into this like survival protective mode where you could have put, given me a lie detector test when I was 25. And I would have said, no, I was not sexually abused. Like, mm-hmm. stop asking me that I had nothing to do with this. And in doing the experiential deep rooted work where I got into my body. I got into my, my hips that was, that were always tight. And I was like, what is the message that you're trying to, to convey to me? Like, what is this protective tightness that I have? And I realized that it was memories around sexual abuse that came to me during some of the processes, which I now do on my clients that, um, there are, there are memories and traumas stored within our body that we might not even be cognitively aware of. You know, there's like that whole, there's that whole metaphor about the iceberg and we see the tip of the iceberg, but then there's like an entire glacier underneath that we don't know about. So I'm interested in getting people from the iceberg to what is at the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and so what, what would you like, can you think of a client that you've worked with that's had a, a transformation, someone who has had obviously not saying their name for obvious reasons, but any, just any changes that you can pull from the people you work with? Yes, absolutely. So it's never, it's usually never been about like the issue. So I have, I have a girl that I'm working with right now and she came to me because she kept on falling in love with, um, she is, she's a lesbian and she kept on falling in love with women that didn't want her and would like reject her. And then she had this great girlfriend who she wasn't physically attracted to. And she was telling me like, Amy, you know, literally like I'm repulsed by this woman who loves me. And I'm attracted to the people that have abused me. And I was like, oh girl, you know, this is, this is something deeper. This is from a childhood wound where you have stored the memory that love only comes in a form of pain. So we, we took her back, we regressed her, we did some body work. We got her into her earliest memory of where she felt this feeling. And sure enough, it was around when her father had, you know, touched her inappropriately. And then he ended up, you know, getting divorced and leaving the family. And so her, her current as a 25 year old woman, uh, experience of love was stored in her body as I'm going to violate you and then I'm going to leave you. And that is love. And so we worked her through like healing that piece of her. And, you know, it takes, it takes a couple of sessions. It takes vigorous work. It takes being committed to going there and really feeling through the pain. And, um, eventually she was able to see that 
you know how they say like your picker is off. Mm-hmm. Yes. Her trauma was leading how she chose women and she was able to let down her guard and actually be open to receiving a love, which she'd never experienced before because it was a love that she never got, which is like, she was afraid. So there's a part of her that like rejected actual love because she, it wasn't familiar to her. She didn't know what it was. And so she couldn't even recognize what it was to be loved by someone. And so we worked her through that. And now, I mean, eventually, so she's now engaged to this woman that the good woman, um, that, <laughs> that loved her and is actually able to receive and express love in a healthy way. So she was a perfect example of somebody that thought that they weren't attracted to someone, but they were thinking that based on the experiences of their childhood and like on, it was actually showing up in a physical way where she felt unattracted to somebody because they were loving her in a healthy mm. way, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's some deep stuff is, is how you're, how you show up to people or how you allow to accept the love of someone based on things that are way in the past. And that's a, such a huge area that can be life transforming to work through that stuff. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I love it. So of course we could talk for nine hours because that's how we roll. Um, (laughs) but I just want to, first of all, just acknowledge you for the amazing work you're doing in the world and turning such a, a colorful past into something that is now just, you know, I, I see you as just, um, painting this canvas of life now with these beautiful colors that you've acquired throughout your, your life and, you. you know, and, and being just such a, um, such an inspiration of people. So I love you. I love being your friend. I love everything you stand for. I'm here to support you in every single way. And I know that for people listening who are dealing with addictions, that you um, are such a great uh, resource for them to reach out to. So for people who want to reach out to you, how can they follow what you're up to and, um, and contact you? Yes. So I thank you for that. And I would uh, love to hear from people. I'm, I'm also available for coaching. You can find me on Facebook. If you look up Amy Dalton and you can find my Ted talk at uh, YouTube or my website, which is www.amydalton.org.org. And uh, just reach out to me via a Facebook message or through my website and let me know how I can support you on your journey. I, I would love to hear feedback and just be of any support that I can. So thank you. Awesome. Love you, girl. Thanks All right. Love you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, you guys, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. I love that girl. She just really teaches me how to not take life so seriously. It's good to have friends like that, that just help you to see the moments and, uh, crack up at them. Even, even painful stuff. Like my mom always says that she always learned to laugh because if she didn't laugh, she would cry. And I think that, uh, laughter is incredibly therapeutic. Um, so Amy really teaches me a lot about that. So thank you guys for joining us. And, um, I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, again, if you love the the show, if you're getting some value out of it, please head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review and some comments. And that would just mean the world to me. And I read each and every one of those. If you love the show as well, or you're getting some value out of it, if you could share it with people in your life, that would be wonderful as well. You never know. You could save their life. All right, you guys have a great week. Check you next week. Bye. 
North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supplies. See stores for details. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.